Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly, here to tell you that we have a brand new podcast called Halloween Unmasked, premiering Monday, October 1st. Here's a sneak peek. There's trouble in the suburbs. A teenage girl named Lori Strode crosses a quiet street toward an ordinary house to find her friends. But Lori doesn't know that her friends are dead, and she doesn't know that she's walking right toward the masked killer, Michael Myers. The movie is Halloween. And Halloween just, it was like a, it was a breath of fresh, putrid air. He's a pure, unknowable evil. I'm film critic Amy Nicholson, and this is Halloween Unmasked, a podcast series from The Ringer celebrating the remarkable and terrifying rise of America's most revolutionary horror film. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to Halloween Unmasked, and watch your back. I, I think the scariest part was that he doesn't die at the end. So when you're 10, it's like, that guy's still out there. <laughs> we, we gotta get him. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, you're on assignment. I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm on assignment. I'm currently in Jacksonville, Florida. We are recording this a little bit early because we're a little bit busy on Thursday, especially me, uh, doing some reporting. So it's currently Wednesday evening. I am very sad about the Cubs. I'm very excited to do the show, and that's kind of where we sit. I definitely understand the MLB playoff structure, and I'm not constantly confused and consulting Wikipedia about it. Yeah, I don't want to get into it. Just it's a really... number of different playoff game, play in games. Yeah, the Cubs played two in two days, and, and I'm lost emotionally both of exhausted. I'm not super into watching a 162 game baseball season and then apparently making the playoffs as with the tied for the best record in the NL and then playing one game and no longer being in the playoffs. That's the question. Ryan O'Hanlon, my editor here at the Ringer, has a theory that if baseball were played just once a week, it'd be the most popular sport in America. Where are you on that one? Because I feel like the one-game playoffs are pretty good. The one-game playoffs are pretty good, but I I am not in on that whatsoever. Baseball, for all its drama and all the tension in a game like that is not a like visually appealing sport in terms of aesthetics. I like baseball, but... If every sport played once a week, everything would be almost the exact same. Football would be more popular because football is perfect for television. That's all that matters. Football is really, really fun on television. That's it. Yeah, that's why it became the most popular sport in America. Yeah. It's perfect and it's for TV. it's also the best sport. Yeah. FYI. I, and meanwhile... That's why, that's why we're here. Welcome to our football podcast. Where we're we doing talk a football about the best podcast. Sport. We're talking right, about so the best sport. We usually start off the Thursday show, the three of them we've done, when I say usually, with the headlines of the week. Instead of doing that this week, because it's four games in, we're at the quarter mark of the season. I, you know, quarter pole doesn't mean a quarter of the way through. Did you know this? I haven't given much thought to it, but tell me about this. I, I said quarter pole in, in uh, my starting 11 this week, and mm-hmm. somebody corrected me on the internet. They're like, you know, the quarter pole in horse racing means you have a quarter mile left. It's not the quarter mark of the race. And I was like, no, I did not know that. But thank you for telling me because I will not use it anymore. So thank you, internet, for teaching me something new every day uh, outside of people are dickheads. How have we gone so, this long? Because I feel like it's a fairly standard sports thing like you're doing your power rank well we're at the quarter pole yeah i feel like we, I guess we've that really been the, way off on this i guess that's not how it works wow. but we're at the quarter mark of this nfl season and as 
a result of that, we are going to break down some of you know the MVP race so far. Who do you think is MVP through uh, the way through the season? Maybe some other awards. We're also going to talk about three things through four games that we know just in our bones to be true. And I think that we could probably pick out several of those despite how much more season we still have ahead of yeah, us. So definitely. let's start with just very simply, who do you think is the MVP of the NFL through four games? Okay, so let's talk about the odds for a second. Mahomes is four to one. He is the favorite. Goff, five to one. Breeze, Brady, Rogers, Gurley, Kamara, 20 to one. This is the last one I'll name. Joe Flacco. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. Why? I don't Mitchell know. Mitchell Trubisky and Matt Ryan have the same odds. 33 to 1. Ezekiel Elliott, 40 to 1. And Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack and Trubisky Khalil, have the same odds, Khalil which I Mack think is fascinating. Trubisky. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, Phil Rivers, 25 to 1. I don't know why that's there. And I, I'm not exactly buying 25 to 1 Carson Wentz. All right. So even though they have the worst odds, would you just say that Mahomes is, or even though he does, would you say that Mahomes is just the pick right now? Yeah, I'd say some combination of Mahomes and Goff. Remember, my pick was Drew Brees based on narrative because he has not won the award. Six to one. He's six to one. He's lingering there. And I think that if if Mahomes and Goff have some sort of, you know, struggle in the second half, any of that, I feel like Brees could win a narrative award here. Having said that, Mahomes has 14 touchdowns and zero interceptions. Like, there's also the chance he just absolutely runs away with this. The throw he made across his body mm. in them on Monday night, I, I seriously was just blown away by it. What about the it. left-handed throw? Well, that was just a good, that's a good pr- like presence of mind thing in the moment. But just the physical ability to make that across the field throw is like, holy shit, this guy is good. The golf thing is fun. I mean, I we, we talked about this before the season. I picked Gurley just because I didn't think that Goff would have the type of numbers to win the MVP, even though I felt like the Rams would own the year. I still feel like they're going to, but he certainly has the type of numbers to win the MVP. Yeah, and remember what I said. I mean, Goff and Gurley, I think, would split votes. Yes, it, it, I think If that's the tough. Rams are like 15-1 and one, and the number one seed in the NFC and Mahomes is Mahomes for the rest of the year, I think Mahomes gets it, even if Goff just absolutely destroys the rest of the NFC. And also, by the way, these two teams play in Mexico City. I know. And I wouldn't That's really discount exciting. that. I'm very for much looking our, forward to that. I feel like there's going to be a week of like, who's getting the MVP that week? And then we we judge a lot of it based on that. I'm so mad I didn't put money on Mahomes before the year. Me and my buddy Ryan, the day before the season started, we were sitting there at a bar in Los Angeles going over our the records for every team. We do this every year. We usually do it over email, but he happens to live in LA now. And we're sitting there at the corner of the bar and we're going over MVP odds. And I was like, Mahomes is 33 to one. Should we just pool some money and bet on Mahomes to win the MVP? And we were like, no, it's still, it's too far-fetched. Like I know that it could happen and just based on everything we think that offense is going to be, but come on, MVP? He's Now he's four to one. I'm just so mad about this. There is a four-week span are you aware of this four-week golf span or the four-week Ram span from like no. in October, late October into November? Uh, no, I'm definitely not. I don't know what you're talking about, so I, I'm not aware of it. Four-week span. I don't want to. I don't want the quarterback wins people angry at me. The people who get really mad when you say that it's matchups between two quarterbacks. I don't want them coming after me, but I don't care. Rodgers versus Golf on October 28th. Clash of the Titans. Golf versus Breeze the next week. Then the Seahawks. Whatever. Who cares? The week after that, Chiefs-Rams. 
Wow. So that's what, fun, man. I, I gotta tell you, and, and this this speaks a little bit to the depth of the league as far as quarterbacks goes right now. So they have Rodgers, Breeze, Wilson, obviously, then Mahomes, then Stafford, then Mitchell Trubisky, and then Carson Wentz. Those are, they play those those quarterbacks in order, and then they have the Arizona Cardinals, which I mean, Josh Rosen might be right there with them by that point. I'm gonna be in Los Angeles for the Breeze game, which is fun. It's exciting. We'll it's in Jay- New Orleans, but oh, okay. Are you gonna go to a bar or something? I don't know. Do you want to watch the games together that day? We, sure, we could. Sure, I'll be there. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the three things we feel like we already know, uh, just based on this season. My number one is just Patrick Mahomes is for real. I mean, I feel like we just touched on that. I mean, the Chiefs' offense is just a pleasure to watch, and he is one hundred percent like entrenched as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I feel good about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think... I think we've seen a couple of young quarterbacks sort of rise and fall, and I don't know... First of all, I think there a lot of this stuff is Mahomes' talent. That's 85% of it. But then you get into Andy Reid's schemes, the amount of wide yep. open passes he's he's uh, getting, you know, the windows, Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt, those guys, those weapons, Travis Kelsey. So it is slightly systematic, but then there's just a lot of talent that he has. And I think that the, the supporting cast and the read thing is going to keep him from maybe the deep regression some of the other young quarterback, quarterbacks have had. I, I think he is the future of the NFL. Um, you know, when we did the podcast with Russillo and Simmons, where we talked about the best quarterback in three years. I said Wentz. I still believe that. But the one caveat I said at the time was that if Patrick Mahomes looks like this through November, I will change my answer. And at this point, I would buy him looking like this through November, and I would buy me changing my answer. I'm not going to do it yet because it's only been four games, but I'm starting to, I always believe the hype, and I'm starting to think that maybe he's going to exceed the already incredible hype. Yeah, he really could. I mean, it's unbelievable what's happening right now. And even on games where they're not clicking necessarily, they went on the road and beat Denver. I mean, they were not firing on all cylinders for that entire four quarters, but by the end, it, they just went out. It's like we, we, the same thing we discussed with the Saints on Sunday's show. Eventually, just the talent wins out. You can only keep them at bay for so long, and that's just that's how I feel about the Chiefs right now. I mean, it's just incredible. You know, my, my first thing is related to this. And it's that offense is a sustainable way to win the NFL right now. I saw a stat the other day. The top five scoring offenses in the league, doesn't matter anything else, the top five scoring offenses in the league right now are 17 and three. That seems important. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's just, that's just, that's the future is it's going to be basketball-esque. It's the same sort of revolution that happened in basketball. Teams have figured out efficiency. They've figured out offense. They've figured out ways to get these guys open. Now, a couple of the th- I do think there will be some regression, and here's why. I think that some of the schemes, especially the spread stuff, I don't think anyone realized they spent so much time on RPOs. And I talked to coaches about it over the, the, the summer. They spent a lot of time just trying to decipher the RPO stuff that I think they lost sight of the bigger picture, which was, you know, some of these just very basic spread concepts that have been popular in college for years have now made it as sort of primary plays in the NFL. Jet and, motion. Yeah, jet motion, those sort of things. Things have been bubbling to the surface for maybe a couple of years in the NFL, but now they're everywhere. And I feel like NFL defenses will at some point adjust, but I do think the shotgun offense, 
the, um, the, the, the jet motion stuff. I mean, I do think that for a couple of years at least, offense will have a major, major schematic advantage over the defense. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you just see everything and how many teams are using this stuff well. How many teams are using very similar concepts? You know that one play that teams are running now where they'll line up with a slot receiver to the right and they'll fake a pitch? Like the the movement of the offensive line and the running back Mm -hmm. will be such that you think it's a pitch to the right and in reality, the slot receiver coming back to the left catches it. I've seen like six teams do that. I've seen six teams do that little flip pass to a guy coming in motion on jet motion. I mean, it's like all these teams are doing very similar things. And as we've seen the homogeneity of the league kind of rise to this point and the transfer of information is so fast, we just see so many teams stealing from one another. And that's what I, I tweeted this during the Rams game, but I said, there is no reason for your team to not be creative and fun and forward thinking anymore because yeah. of how easy it is to steal from the smart coaches. Like if you're not being good, you are just not trying. So I said this over the summer and I want to repeat it because there was a story a couple of months ago about how many coaches have called Lincoln Riley and picked yeah. his brain about offensive schemes. And I, I, I'm one of those people. I called Lincoln Riley and picked his brain and I wrote a story about it for the ringer last week. But if if I'm an owner, the first thing I'm doing when I read something like that is I call my coach and I say, hey, who from our staff called Lincoln Riley? Yes. And if the answer is no one, fire everyone. Fire, fire everybody. Fire the quality control guy. I don't know. Fire the athletic trainer who didn't think of calling Lincoln Riley. I mean, if you're not, things move so quickly now. Things move so quickly. And yep. as I wrote last week, I mean, you know, this, 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 the website Huddle, YouTube, all of these things. Quality control guys at every level are looking at these plays and stealing them. And it's not just... So the story is that Press Taylor, the now quarterback's coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, saw the Philly special online. That's that's his job, right? Well, the Ravens have a guy, Matt Weiss, that they told me about. He does that. If you don't have a guy... If you don't have one, what the fuck you If you don't have a guy, you need a guy. And if you don't want a guy, you should be fired. Yes, it, it makes no sense that you can get an army of dudes making, you know, $42,000 a year to do this shit. Like it just, I, I don't understand how these teams that print money and have this unbelievably bloated television deal don't have 10 you guys. Know what I would do, I would do just, this for their jobs. I would just hire one of these Twitter guys who just sure. goes around looking at, Oklahoma State plays and just and pay him forty thousand dollars a year. Stick him in an office down the hall, and every couple days I go, "Hey, what do you got?" And well, hey, look at look at this Montana play. There's no reason not to. There's there's literally no reason, and that's why. So my second thing is, I feel like we can firmly say that Sean McVay is the best play caller in the NFL, and the Mm. the reason for that, and the reason why it's so defined to me, is this exact type of thing. Just this willingness to say, all right, that looks cool. How do I do that? You know, them stealing that Kareem Hunt play from week one of the Chiefs game last year against New England. Them using it against Dallas. Just like wholesale being like, we're just going to steal this. I don't care. Because You know who else stole that play? The New England Patriots. Yeah, The uh, Chiefs ran that play against the Patriots and the Patriots stole it. And then everybody stole it. I'm writing about McVeigh for today, I guess. It's this podcast will come out Thursday. The story's coming out on Thursday. So mm-hmm. you guys hopefully can go read that. But 
Andrew Whitworth told me something so interesting at the end of last season. And he was just talking about the exchange of information in the Rams building and how McVay does such a great job of talking to his guys about what they're comfortable with and what they're not. Mm-hmm. And the it's all, and I asked Andrew Whitworth, I was like, when do you guys have these conversations? Is there like a set time? Do you guys have a meeting that's designed for these sort of you know gripes and grievances? He goes, it's all the time. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't think there are, a day goes by that Sean doesn't talk to every single member of the starting offense. That's remarkable. That and, and to say like, well, isn't that how every team does it? No, <laughs> it, that is not how every team does it. it. Every team does not have this idea of well, you know, tell me what you think about this. And that's what is so remarkable about McVeigh is that Whitworth told me, he said, he's the smartest guy in the room and he knows it, but he's also the most empathetic guy in the room. And striking that balance with the egos at play in the NFL coaching world is virtually impossible. And his ability to kind of teach this stuff and teach it on such a baseline level and such a fundamental level. And then when his guys say, I don't know. And it's, it's the littlest things. It's it, the idea of if you're, let's say you're trying to devise a pressure or a protection package, which golf told me is the thing that McVeigh did just with a deafness that was unbelievable at the beginning. Just how much he simplified things while also keeping them so complicated. He's like, this guy's just different. And Whitworth told me, he said, so we're running these, we're putting in these protections and we'll devise it as such that there are moments where I know based on a certain look that I'm going to have a read that makes me make a bar- like a terrible decision, mm-hmm. an unenviable decision. Mm-hmm. And I'll just tell Sean, this is not good. It, it, what this makes me do is not conducive to success and they'll change it. Or at least he's willing to listen to why they should change it. And again, if you think that is the norm in the NFL, you do not talk to a lot of NFL people. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me because it kind of goes back to what well, we talked about earlier, which just how quickly information can travel up. And the first person, I've said this before, the first person to ever tell me what was coming was in 2013, I want to say. And it was Mike Shanahan. And who was Mike Shanahan in charge of at that point? Well, Sean McVay's one of them, Kyle Shanahan's the other. Correct. And I think that that staff now, and, and by the way, by the way, Robert Griffin, when he had his little explosion in 2012, guess what he was doing? He was running Baylor's playbook. Yes. And that was a sign of things to come. Taking it's ideas about from anywhere. Fluidity. It's about malleability. I mean, we, we've known this forever, but it's just, you, we have to keep hammering it over and over again because people seem to forget this. It's just about a willingness to understand that if you are, if you have just this ability and this feeling for taking in information and processing it and not blocking it out for the sake of doing it, it's going to make you a better football team and it's going to make you a better football coach. Good ideas come from anywhere. All right, my next thing, it's actually, I'm, I'm just going to tee you up for it. I may not even talk, even though it's my thing. The Bears can win if Mitch Trubisky isn't good. And if he is good, they can contend. Don't make me do this, please. It's not very nice of you. I'm not it's talking. It's really fun, dude. I'm not talking. It's really fun. Do you agree third, with the first part? Do you agree with the first part? Yeah, Can they win the NFC North if Mitch Trubisky is an average quarterback? 100% they can. I agree. It, I agree. Every other element of what they're doing right now lends to that possibility and that reality. So what happens? 
I'm not saying he's he's putting up the Aaron Rodgers type numbers who's playing against the Bucks. The Bucks, by the way, that was kind of a low grade version of what happened with the Vikings against the Bills, where they just forgot how to play defense momentarily. So there it was, was just amazing. a lot of just op- randomly open people. The the defense is for real. We've discussed this. Mac was my third thing. The fact that oh my god, Khalil Mack is amazing. So we might as well just discuss it now. Let's do it. What he has done for them is just holy shit. I, it was it. It was the one element they needed to just unlock this unit that has so much talent on it. It's made Akeem Hicks better. It's made Leonard Floyd better. It's made the secondary better. Those corners are pretty good. They did not have Prince of Mukamaro last week, and they were fine. It, Bryce Callahan's been excellent in the slot. It, it's just an 11 deep defense without any weaknesses. Now the Mac is there. Yep. And then you. You watch what Tim Trevathan was doing on, you know, seam routes to OJ Howard and almost pissing, picking passes off. Aaron Lynch has been really good when he's been given a shot. It's just the defense is so excellent and it's a recipe that is sustainable. It is not smoke and mirrors. And that's the most impressive and the most encouraging part about their success thus far. We see these defenses when it's like, oh man, these guys look pretty good, but it's just it's a blitz here and it's a blitz there and they're they're getting pressure in all these manufactured ways and when defenses figure out how to you know stop that how to attack it it's, it's never going to work over a long period of time the the bears blitz 11% of the time it's the lowest rate in football and they have the most pressures and they have the most sacks yep I mean, it's that's that's legitimately I don't want to overstate this but that's that's the type of defense that's how you win the super bowl that's exactly right and again, let's see how that's good how, he can that, that's be. the type of defense wins Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Bears win the Super Bowl. I'm just saying that's the profile. And we talked about it on Sunday night. How many defenses have 18 sacks through four games? We talked about it Sunday night. I mean, it's an incredible list, including last year's Jaguars. I am not overstating this. The Bears don't have a below average starter on their defense. I agree you with that. You can't it, it, literally. This is literally a health thing. If everyone stays healthy. They're going to be extremely good all season, and they, yes. from the looks of things, look like they can probably win the division. Yes. I think they absolutely can contend to win the division. And it's about the right guys getting hurt or the right guys staying healthy, right? So let's, for example, say that Leonard Floyd is out for the season. Mm-hmm. Then Aaron Lynch comes in, and you don't lose a ton. Let's, for example, say that one of the defensive linemen that's not Hicks or that or Khalil Mack gets hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, if Bullard goes down, then Robertson Harris steps in and he's been playing very well. Bilal Nichols, the rookie, is very good. I mean, that's a group that has a ton of depth right now. Let's say Trevathan gets hurt. Then Kwiatkowski comes in. He's a pretty solid player. It's even though it's a slight downgrade, they have a lot of depth at the right spots. I think safety. You're going to need those guys healthy. They'd be done because both of those guys are so good. Hey, I, I have mean, a question. They, they, that'd be a huge thing. But again, it's it just, that's true for almost every defense. There's so few groups that can't, that can afford injuries. Uh, right now, it reminds me of the Jags in terms of how complete they are across the board. Hey, Robert. What's up, buddy? What if they had an injury at quarterback? Then that would be bad because even th- as bad as Chase Daniel. Uh, yeah. If as Chase, bad as Daniel, look, Chase Daniel. Chase no, Daniel's not very good. Well, let's talk about this. If Chase Daniel were the Bears quarterback for the next, let's say, just hypothetically, Trubisky gets hurt in game five. So you have 11 more games. Do they make the playoffs with Chase Daniel? No. Okay. I think the offense is, is, is just so bad. I have so much faith in the scheme. I have so much faith in the, path, in the faith in the pass catchers. I believe they're 
second in the league in drop rate. I think they've dropped like 1.2% of their passes. You know, that group of receivers I said coming into the season had a chance to be one of the best in the league. I absolutely believe that it has been. And Anthony Miller hasn't even played very much considering he's been hurt. Uh, Every other element of this team is really well put together. And that's the kind of optimism I had coming into the year and they've rewarded it. All right, what's your third one? Wait, hold on. What is going to happen more for the rest of the year? Bears wins or John Gruden saying something incredibly unself-aware about Cologne? John Gruden's saying something incredibly unself-aware because the Bears only have 12 games left, even if they win them all. John Gruden just said, did you hear He's like, Cologne Mack had another strip sack? Unbelievable. Did you read that story? Yeah. I don't know. I like Mike Silver a lot. I I understand why John Gruden is an object of fascination. I just don't like... We're really like... John Gruden, I tweeted this, John Gruden celebrating beating the Browns and he didn't really beat them. And also he's the like, the refs gave them the game. Well, he's also just like, well, we haven't solved anything yet, which is what you say like when you're riding high. Okay, listen, third one very quickly. Yours is Khalil Mack. Yeah, we already talked about yeah. it. He, mine he, it's, mine extremely ridiculous. quick, extremely quickly. And my number three thing I know is that the New England Patriots are just going to win the division. Yes. Yes. We did this whole we could have said that dog, in August. And, uh, dog and pony show. Bill made me put the Patriots on worst picks of the week. And I'm, I don't know about that. Yeah, no, they're going to win the division. Probably make the AFC Championship game. And they're going to play the Chiefs and they're yeah. going to beat the Chiefs. Probably. Yeah. I mean, that's just how it's always going to go. Before we move on, let's take a quick break. Guys, you've heard me talking about this for weeks and some of you are still watching football from the sidelines. Whether you are an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at MyBookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, MyBookie gives you the chance to create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win and if you hit all three, you'll turn $100 into $600. Plus, you can bet on all major sports, not just football, like this weekend's MMA. Conor McGregor is stepping into the octagon Saturday for his first UFC fight in two years. Will he win straight up or will Khabib deliver a first round KO? If you're on the sidelines, now is the time to get in the game. My bookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you gotta join now because they'll be pulling that offer soon. Log on to my bookie right now and double your money. Use promo code RINGERNFL and they'll match your first deposit 100%. That's promo code RINGERNFL. You play, you win, you get paid. Now back to the show. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's get to this week's Take Shop. Why don't you kick us off? Yeah. Hey, Robert, is the AFC North the best division in football? I think it is. Wow. Yeah. Wow, because I'm I think there. the AFC North can give it a run. I think it, 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 what it comes down to, and this is what we talked about when I unveiled this Take Shop to you off air, the pre-Take Shop, if you will. Pre-take shop, yeah. Is it comes down to how you feel right now about the NFC North teams. And we'll talk about the teams you want to talk about in a second because it's sort of related, but I picked the Vikings to make the Super Bowl. I have no idea what the hell is going on with the Vikings right now. The Packers, I'm ready to believe anything. I mean, the Packers right now are 2-1-1. The Vikings and the Packers tie. That's such a strange situation there. But the Packers dismantled the Bills. Like, that's exactly what we expected. Did they, though? We'll get to this. They won by 22 points. 22 points is not a lot against the Bills when Josh Allen plays like the Vikings got blown the fuck out by them. That's fair, but the Vikings seem like they're in a little bit of hot water right now. I totally agree. But listen, 
So the Bears are three and one. Their one loss is a very strange loss to the Green Bay Packers, which was just that was just sort of a miracle deal. And I don't really know what to what to glean from that. It was early in the season. So it comes down to what you believe as far as those teams go. NFC South kind of intriguing, but the Bucks and the Falcons at, at this point are not huge threats. The NFC East is the NFC East. Don't care. AFC South, I have no idea what the hell is going on there. I mean, I will say that the Titans and the Jaguars do look really good, but the Texans and the Colts do not. AFC West, eh. And then the AFC East, just another, another Dolphins win. So the worst team right now by, I'm trying to look here. Yeah, by point differential, the worst probably, team is it in, Pittsburgh? in the NFL, in the, in the AFC North is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I this is more about how I feel about the Browns. I mean, I put them at 16 in the preseason power rankings. I feel like they could go 8-8. Eight and eight. They probably should be on track to be even better than that right now, it, despite all the late-game craziness and just the frustrating, head-scratching decisions that have been made. That team has a lot of talent on it. And with Baker, mm-hmm. I just think that they're going to be a pain in the ass for teams throughout the entire season. The Bengals, I'm impressed with their offense. I feel like... Their ability to protect Dalton just a little bit, just a little bit more, has allowed them to be pretty good. The pass catchers are solid. Boyd's gotten better. And Baltimore is playing better than I thought they would on offense. I mean, that that division right now has no easy outs. So I don't mind you saying that at all. Again, the take shops are takes we're not necessarily ready to throw out there, but we're starting to get there. We're workshopping them. Absolutely. All right, so here's mine with that same thought Let's in mind. Let's do this. And I hesitate to even do this because I know it's going to come back to get me. Are the Packers good? Mm. Do, do we think the Packers are good? Like, talk me out of this, I guess, is what I'll ask you. Talk you out of the Packers being bad? Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, is that where it ends? Yeah. And I, Kenny Clark is the second best player on defense in football, according to Pro Football He's been Focus awesome. right now. He's been awesome. I think you're looking at some individual pieces of talent. And I, I would put... Until last week, I would have put the Seahawks in the same category, which is really good players in a number of positions and it coming down to whether or not the other guys can be average enough. That's probably true, but I just, God, there's aren't that many of the good players. I mean, HaHa's been good. Kenny Clark's been really good. David Bakhtiari is just on a level right now. That dude is amazing. I mean, we Watching him week in, week out, he has just figured it out. I think right now he's the best pass blocking left tackle in football. Well, with Tyron Smith's kind of up and down issues with the new position coach and his lingering health problems and whatever. Mm-hmm. Bakhtiari is so fucking good. But their pass catchers are, leave a lot to be desired. I don't really like the guys they have on the edge. I mean, Clay Matthews taking such a tumble. The secondary is very young. The safeties they have outside of haha do not scare me whatsoever. The linebackers are fine. I guess we just play this game all the time with Green Bay where it's like, oh, well, they're not that good, but Rodgers is Rodgers and they'll be fine. And I just think that that is so stark this year considering how just forgettable and replaceable so much of the talent on the roster seems to be. You know what's strange to me? We're playing flag football right now. If you're not passing 488, 400 yards a game, Blake Bortles had 388 yards last week. If you're not passing for 400 yards a game, you're just basically being left behind. And the two guys who have not really been able to take advantage of it in maybe the way they should. As in, are Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Are Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. 
Yeah, it's weird. Uh, Aaron Rodgers completed 55% of his passes against the freaking Bills. I don't... Has he, they did, did he not have, blow that team out. Well they, well, they did with the score. 22 points is not that much against a really, really bad team. 76 rating. Uh, hasn't broken 300. Did he break... I'm looking at the last three games. Did he break 300 yards against I the Bears? I believe he It did. seems like something yes. he would have done because he torched them. No, he did not. No, he did not. No, he did not. Ryan Fitzpatrick is throwing 400 yards a game and is no longer a starter. That's where we're at with his league right now. And to be fair, Rodgers averaged 9.53 no, yards per attempt against also, the Bears. Also, Ryan Fitzpatrick's not a quarterback. But I'm just saying. I mean, Aaron Rodgers. Statistically, me. Aaron Rodgers averaged 9.53. But, but statistically, both both Rodgers and Brady, if they were in a vintage year right now, would be throwing for 850 yards and a half. Do you know what Aaron Rodgers' career quarterback rating is? It's the highest in history. 103.6. But as many people have pointed out, like nine quarterbacks are above that this year, or they were going into last week. And guess who's not? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Who is at 97.4, which is his worst every year was 92. Yeah, before his, yeah, since yeah. he became the starter, which is nuts. Um, so I want, I want, let's, one more thing I want to complain about here. The Packers are joining the Lions as the teams that are frustrating me a lot with the usage of their running backs. Okay. The Lions just refuse to make carry on Johnson the guy, even though he's clearly the best running back on the team. And the Packers just refuse to give the ball to Aaron Jones, even though he is so much better than the other two guys they have. I know pass protection and whatever. He's a fine pass protector. I, I don't know if Jamal Williams is like Marshall Falk in 2000. Like, I don't understand why we need Jamal Williams snaps because he's so good in pass protection. You have arguably the best pass blocking offensive line in the NFL. I'm not sure the tiny gap in pass protection quality between Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones is precluding you from putting your best running back on the field who's averaging like seven yards a carry. It just NFL coaches and their decision making will always confound me. So... Carryon Johnson leads the Lions in attempts. You're 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 taking issue with the Legarrette Blunt 35 attempts this year. Yeah, it's very close. Do you know what Legarrette Blunt's yards per attempt is? Like 3.8. Oh, you wish. 2.7. Jesus. Okay. Good lord. 35 35 attempts for 95 yards. You're doing a nice job. Carryon Johnson at 100 yards in one game. Doing a nice job. Carryon Johnson 5.7 uh, yards. Per and time. it's not. I, I, I feel like you're gonna see a little bit more with that. They also have Theo Riddick in the backfield. But that's the thing, right? So when a, you're, you have a running back that's clearly the best running back and he's not getting the work you think he should, the reason is almost always because that guy is not that good in pass protection and because you don't want to be predictable. LeGarrette Blount is terrible in pass protection. He is not a passing down back. There is no reason to have him in the game right now over on Johnson except for maybe spill, like, spelling him every couple series so he doesn't get tired. It's the only reason. The fact that their carries are 50-50 right now, th- there is nothing rooted in logic that would lend that to be true. Nothing. What did you learn? Because I did not learn it until fairly recently that Luke Johns- Luke, excuse me, Luke Wilson was on the Lions. Oh, I had no idea. Absolutely zero idea. I feel like we should give an award for the person who's a veteran that is on a team that we found out the latest in the year. Ooh, because for me, for me, it's it's Luke Wilson. 
You think it's the Luke Wilson Award? Dude, no, I, I I would actually say, so first of all, I did not know Trevor Simeon played for the Vikings until I saw Trevor Simeon in the Vikings practice. Yep, Kirk Cousins told me. That's the only reason I knew. I literally saw Trevor Simeon. I'm like, what are you doing here? I didn't say that, but that's that was my thought. But, you know, funny enough, that also happened the year before with Case Keenum, and look where that got us. I actually la- I laughed when I saw Case Keenum in practice, and then he fucking dunked on me. Then he came on Slow News Day. For me, it's... Uh, this happened today. I was in the Jaguars locker room and I saw James O'Shaughnessy and I was like, oh, I forgot James O'Shaughnessy. But he was there last year. On the Jaguars. He was there last year, but it's for me, it's like those third tight ends. It's like, what team is Mercedes Lewis on right now? Yeah. Do you know? Uh, Mercedes Lewis is on, is he on the Packers? He is on the Packers. Well done. Yes. So, but it's those guys. It's the blocking tight ends. It's like, who is the, the, uh, that, like the third Steelers tight end forever. Oh, Matt Spath is exactly Matt who Spaeth. I'm thinking of. Matt like Spaeth. it's the Matt Spath Award for guys who you do not know which team. You know on. what the other thing about the third tight end is? Either they're either the best guy on the team or they're just quietly a massive asshole. Yes, it's one of the other. It's one of so the other. Because I always sometimes you assume that because they're the third tight end, they're a great guy, and then they're like, no, that guy's the biggest jackass on the team. It's one or the other. No one, the third tight end has never been an okay guy. He's either like the chairman of the boys and local boys and girls club, or he hasn't spoken to the media and doesn't know his teammates' names. That's so true. Do you know what? It's always a fun thing when you're in a locker room and you talk to a guy from the first time you've never talked to him and you're like, that guy's awesome. That's one of my favorite experiences as an NFL reporter. Did that happen today? I, I'm doing a story and I talked to Avery Jones. You know, Avery Jones is the guy, he's been mm-hmm. there forever in mm-hmm. Jacksonville. He's like the third defensive tackle. I talked to him for 10 minutes. And I walked away. I was like, man, that guy's great. And it's just, it's always such a fun experience. There are a lot of the opposite of those in NFL locker rooms. But when you get one of those, it's always fun. Yeah. I mean, and it's the vast majority of players are just Decent, and they give you what you 100%, need, and all that 100%. stuff. That's it. But then there's there's extreme cases, one way or the other. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to our biggest three games of the week. Got some good ones this week. Let's stick on the Jags at, for at first. Uh, we almost forgot this one. I'll take the blame for that. Which is when we kind of run through the schedule very quickly. Sometimes this happens, but the Chiefs play the Jaguars this week, man. The Chiefs' offense against the Jags' defense is one hell of a thing to watch. So. This is a extremely complex matchup for me because I sort of see AJ Boye has not given up a touchdown reception in I think 755 snaps. Did you see that stat? <laughs> no, that's amazing though. It was from PFF. I I, I need to make sure that it's right because I, I wrote it down. It's ludicrous. Regular season stats. But I mean, I, I just don't, I don't even know how that's possible. Okay. Jalen Ramsey's Jalen Ramsey. And I just, this defense is exactly what you want to see Mahomes. You, you want to see Mahomes go against this defense. It's a phenomenon. And I don't know. I mean, we're about to find out if the Mahomes experience is defense proof. This is how you find out. Marcel Darius said something very funny to me today. He was talking about just the defense in general mm-hmm. and how in Buffalo, when they were really good, the defensive line was really good. And they mm-hmm. kind of controlled everything and they made everything go. He said, here, it's just complete. He said, there's nothing that's more enjoyable to me than standing there and looking across the line and just being able to dance and say, you can't do shit. Right. <laughs> it was amazing. And it was hilarious. And it's so true. I mean, just that group in general is just flawless. 
They have no weaknesses. And, and that's the biggest issue. And I'll be so curious to see how the Chiefs go about attacking them. The Jags are 17th in DVOA against tight ends. I, I would assume that there's going to be a lot of Travis Kelsey in this game. Uh, outside of that, they don't really give up much to anybody else. So I don't know what the correct approach is if you're Andy Reid. Well, um, here's what we found out. We found out that Patrick Mahomes can throw across his body unlike anybody else in the league. We found he can throw left-handed. So I think that this is the kind of game where you just see... I know that if you can is, make him throw left-handed every play. So, so there's an old, there's an NFL thing. Uh, you know, hope is not a strategy. It's what they say in the league office. And I feel like in this situation, hope is a strategy because you just sort of let Mahomes do his thing, and good things will happen. That that I, that does not seem like a scientifically prudent thing, but I am I'm buying into it 100. Mahomes can make things happen. He's almost like a a basketball player. I mean, he really is a bat. I mean, you know, Bill made the comparison. Many people have made the comparison to Steph Curry. And I just kind of believe he has this sort of basketball mindset. And I know that, you know, I remember Derek Carr talking about this a little bit with his fourth quarter comebacks. And there are some players who just really enjoy the improvisation part of it. And obviously, sure. Carr has come back down to earth a little bit. That's what happens when you don't have the best defense, offensive line in the NFL anymore. But I just feel like Mahomes, sorry, he can make things happen. I know it's a cliche, but he can make things happen. Mahomes. Fun thing to watch in this one, too, just on a more granular level. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz is playing out of his mind right now. Uh, he shut down Von Miller, just like, again, like a shutout on Monday night. And I, he's just playing so, so well. He started his 100th straight game. Mitchell Schwartz, Calais Campbell, Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in on your television. I mean, that is one hell of a matchup in a game that has plenty of great individual ones. Jalen Ramsey, Tyreek Hill, whatever those linebackers do against Kelsey. I mean, this is just, it does not get any better than that defense against that offense. All right, let's move on. Let's get to our second one. Couple of NFC contenders. I, I would say before the season, maybe two of the three most complete rosters in the league, you would have said, kind of floundering right now. The Eagles and the Vikings. Is this a loser leaves town match? No, get out of here with that. No. Okay, so Paul Domovich does a great job. He has a stat. Last year, the Eagles' offense converted an NFL high 33% of their third and eights or more. Yep. Okay, that's incredible. Seven touchdowns for Wentz in those situations on third and eight. That's how you have an efficient offense. Convert those types of things, have incredible play calls. So that's 33%. This year, it's 15.4%. That sort of shows you that they are not in the same place they were last year as far as conversions, as far as efficiency. I, I, it's, it's only four games, much smaller sample size, but man, last year you could, you could count on the Eagles offense to do anything, and at this point it hasn't really worked out like that. So I wrote about the Eagles on Monday after watching them play on Sunday against Tennessee, and I wrote that it's not as if there's this disaster happening in Philadelphia. You know, They're not falling apart by any stretch. And their talent, for the most part, is the same as it was. I thought Wentz played fairly well on Sunday. Mm -hmm. But you just see these little cracks in the foundation of what they were last season. And they're small, but they matter. And one of those things is that third down conversion rate and their ability to just continue and sustain drives. So in that game against Tennessee, they were giving up a lot of pressure on the inside. And then Lane Johnson got beat a couple times by Harold Landry. And it's like, this is not the same team. 
it, the guys are the same, the uniforms are the same, but they do not look the same. And every, it's just tiny incremental fall-offs by each individual guy. You know, Brandon Brooks getting kind of beat up by Jarrell Casey on the inside last week. And Lane Johnson losing to Harold Landry a couple times. The Corey Graham downgrade from Roddy McLeod and the Titans' ability to take advantage of that. You know, when Corey Davis scored that game-winning touchdown, he was working against Avante Maddox, the fourth-round pick, who's only really playing because Roddy McLeod isn't there. The corners have not been very good this year. So again, a lot of the same guys, a lot of the same schematic stuff, a lot of guys running open. I mean, you could say that losing Frank Reich and John Filippo, you know, do they have the same sort of creativity on offense? I believe they do. It's just they don't have the time to get the ball to those guys, and guys were dropping passes. Nelson Aguilar dropped a couple passes. Jordan Matthews is dropping the ball. So you're just seeing a different version of that Eagles team that won the Super Bowl last year, even if so much of it is the same. Yeah. You know, one thing I want to clarify, you know, when I joked about this being a loser leaves town match, it's it's not necessarily, if the Eagles lose this game, they're two and three. That's not the end of the world record-wise. But there's a lot of elite units in the NFL right now, a lot. And if you don't have one, I think that's the barrier for entry into being a, a, a Super Bowl competitor, Super Bowl contender. And right now from either of these teams, I'm not seeing a unit that is dominant that's going to get you where you need to be. That's all. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And at some point, they, they got to show it soon. Because I'm not saying, I mean, the Vikings defense, I have no idea what the hell happened. Zimmer said something really interesting. And he said that... Is it Everson Griffin over, thing? Yeah, no, not that. I mean, that part of it is... I, that's just something that's very strange. And I don't want to get into that. I mean, that's just... Definitely not. And so, yeah, I, let, we can talk about that at another time. But he said he might be overcoaching them. Which seems like coach speak and seems dumb, but when you consider how complicated that defense is and how complex it can be, you can understand that there might be a little bit too much information getting thrown at those guys because they're trying to be so complex. So I just think they still have a lot of the same talent and I think they're very good on that side of the ball, but I feel like they could probably just get back to basics a little bit and be a much better unit than we've seen so far. You know, one of the coaching points I wish he had made was that the Vikings should cover Bills players. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that that's a good idea. That would have been a good teaching moment for them. Okay, Redskins Saints. Redskins Saints. I uh, I want to chat about this just because I feel like we should probably hit on Breeze breaking the passing yes. record. I mean, he's going to do it. And we, we've talked about this a lot in the last couple months. I mean, we picked him to win the MVP coming in, everything else. I don't think we appreciate Drew Breeze enough. Like nope. I legitimately don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't. I, yes, we don't. He's never won an MVP award. He should this year. I mean, it's unbelievable what he's doing this year again. He wasn't very good against the Giants, but goddamn, he was good in the first three games. <laughs> I, what they've been able to do with him and just, I don't know. He's such a joy to watch. That def- I mean, there has been no more consistent unit in the NFL, maybe outside of the Patriots offense, than the Saints offense over the last 10 years. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I saw a stat the other day. Scott Katzmark tweeted it out. Let's assume Andrew Luck and Drew Brees throw for an equal amount of yards for the rest of 2018. Luck could throw for 5,000 yards for the next 10 years, and he wouldn't break Brees' career mark. Think about that. That's insane. 
I mean, that's absolutely insane. Just efficiency. And I know some of it, I know some of those years, especially when he broke the record for uh, for passing yards one time, I know some of them were sort of weird seasons where they were down a lot and they weren't exactly, you know, contending for a Super Bowl. It doesn't matter. It's really hard to pick up those sort of yards in the NFL. He really did. He really did, especially in that 2011 season, he really did change the game and change the way we looked at maybe pass-first offense. Yeah, absolutely he did. What they've been able to do year in and year out and different versions of it, that's been the coolest mm-hmm. part is that mm-hmm. we've had all these different iterations of who their offense has been. And now you have the Kamara Ingram thing and just their willingness to feed Michael Thomas in a way they've never fed a single receiver just because he's playing so well. I'm very interested that in this game specifically, I'm really interested in looking at how that offensive line plays against a very underrated Washington front. With Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, they have such a good front. They have a very good pass rush. That's a really fun matchup to watch this week. And I also am curious to see what the workload is like with Ingram coming back. Mm -hmm. Because we discussed this a little bit on Sunday's show. The boxes Kamara was running into were so stacked because he's now in in different scenarios that he was in last season. And I think that was hurting his rushing efficiency. So we'll see if Ingram gets those heavy look rushes and Kamara kind of goes back to the role he filled last season. I think that's just something to watch. I don't know how it's going to work out. It's as much for fantasy as it is for anything, but that's an unknown to me as we go into this game. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I I don't know. I'm ready to believe anything from the Redskins. I mean, I, I just don't like the NFC East that much. Do you? No, I absolutely do not. I like I, it. I, 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 I kind of like That's why Alex I'm not worried Smith. about the Eagles. That's why you you don't worry about the Eagles is because yes. there's just no one who's going to run away and hide in that division. I agree yes. with that. I agree with that. I don't I don't think the Super, uh, Super Bowl contender is coming out of the NFC East this year. As much as I love the Eagles, obviously. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I absolutely agree. I think the Eagles will be there, but I just don't think any of those other teams scare me whatsoever. Yep. Let's move on. Uh, let's get to uh, this week's version of Maze Geeks Out and Kevin's Sneaky Truth. Uh, mine's actually player-specific this week. Uh, watching that Eagles game back again early in the week, I was just so interested in watching that front. And, and we know Jarrell Casey's a good player. Daquan Jones played well. But a guy that just blew me away watching that game again, Harold Landry is going to be really good, man. He's going to be really, really good. So if you happen to catch that Titans game this week, they're playing against the Bills and Jordan Mills is not a very good right tackle. This isn't like a quality of matchup thing. This is a Harold Landry could absolutely destroy this game and get on the train now because I think that guy is going to be an absolute stud as we move forward here over the next few years. Mm -hmm. And I think that this week could be his coming out party. You know, two, three sacks, him really just taking it to that Buffalo team. Yeah, so it's funny because we we talk a lot at the Ringer about whether or not college football fans should just scout for teams. And I don't buy into that as much as maybe some college football fans do. I mean, the big, that's like a big Deshaun Watson thing, right? Like, hey, college football fans, we told you Deshaun Watson's really good. Okay. But Harold Lynch is a good example of a guy who two, three years ago, people were talking about him as a future elite player from Boston College. There were a lot of stories about him being the next great defensive lineman. His stock drops for, I'm not even sure why, was it It was health a little bit? Was, weren't there some health problems? Yeah, there were some Landry? health concerns. Yeah. yeah, and I think his his production fell off yeah. a little bit in his last year in college. Sure, right. But his, uh, Mike Vrabel's son plays at Boston College. I think... There's a, you know, there's a lot of connections between obviously the New England area and the Tennessee Titans at this point. 
And so the fact that he dropped the 41st pick, I think surprised a lot of people, especially in college football. Um, and so I just, this is, this is the player we thought he was maybe two years ago. Yeah, I totally agree. He's been so fun. They have so much talent up front there. And I really do think it's going to help them control games. I think that defense is for real. I think they're going to destroy the Bills on Sunday. And I think that Titans team is maybe not a contender in the AFC, but I absolutely think that they're having an inside track shot at making the playoffs. Absolutely. Yeah, no, right. definitely. What's your sneaky truth this week? So I want to talk about this. I gave you the Andrew Luck nugget. And on Sunday, there were five 400-yard passing games. Okay. There have been 12 through the first month of the season. There were eight total 10 years ago. That's where we're at. Okay. The quarterback passer rating. Aaron Rodgers has the highest in history at 103. Mitch Trubisky's at 101 this year. Kirk Cousins has the same rating through four games. Kirk Cousins, by the way, Vikings have not set the world on fire. Kirk Cousins has the same exact mark as Aaron Rodgers' career mark. Ryan Tannehill, Phillip Rivers, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mahomes, Goff, and Breeze obviously are higher. So there's Aaron Rodgers' career passer rating, the highest in NFL history, would be eighth this season, ninth this season among passers. That's where we're at. And I think we need to start looking at the fact that the NFL record books are about to look very, very stupid. Breeze is going to set the mark this year for passer rating, but I think you're, you know, you ever hear the whole thing about how like someone alive right now or someone who's born this year is just going to like live to be 200 years old. Yeah. You ever ever heard that stuff? I don't even know what the number is, right? Someone who's coming into the league in 2017 or 2018 is going to have all of the records and it might be like five guys. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, how how many yards is Mahomes going to throw for? Yeah. Like in his life. Yeah. It's absolutely unbelievable. Jared Goff? Yeah. No, I totally agree. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, you know, has 15 years left in him of just doing this again. Yeah. I I mean, it's it's kind of, it's crazy. And we're just going to see some astronomical numbers. I totally agree. What's going to happen? I've talked about this before and I've I've talked to Hall of Fame voters. What are we going to do with the Hall of Fame? It's going to be really interesting. And obviously... I mean, this is the juiced ball era of football. What are we going to do with Matthew Stafford when he owns tons of records and he put up some of the best passing number of his, of his era? And let's assume he doesn't win a Super Bowl. What do we do with Matthew Stafford and his, and his career when we look back on it? I'm really fascinated to see how this develops. Yeah. Because one, one totally of the answers, you. one of the answers is just sort of the anti-analytic thing, which is the numbers become so inflated. Okay, even if you look at an era, like it's hard to 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 judge this. So we just go based on how much you won, how much how many Super Bowls you won, which would be kind of a bad way to look at things. But it might be the way it goes because it's going to be really hard to judge this era of offensive s- statistics. Yeah, there's almost no way to do it properly. I mean, because we have just nothing to compare it to. I'm, I'm with you here. I, I totally agree. All right. That's my sneaky truth. It's going to sneak up on us. It's going to sneak up on us. And one day we're going to be trying to put Matthew Stafford in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> All right. Very quickly. Quick pick for Thursday Night Football. Uh, the Colts at the Patriots. All I want to say here is that I think the Colts defense is very underrated. Me too. And I don't know if Darius Leonard is going to be playing this week. Uh, he's a little banged up. If he is not, that is a concern. Because they absolutely need him against the just the schematic kind of elements of what the Patriots are with the running backs and everything else. 
But I think this group up front is playing extremely well. They're second in the league in sacks with a similarly low like blitz percentage to the one that the Bears have. Mm-hmm. So I think that Chris Ballard has done a super underrated job of putting this team together over the last year. Patriots by 10. Yep, that's all you need to say. Yeah, exactly. For all of the optimism moving forward, you may have about the Colts, Patriots by 10. All right, guys, that's all we got. Thank you so much, as always. We sincerely appreciate you listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. We'll be back on Sunday night.